Julie Tolliday, you've joined the Pet Chat team. You're going to be taking turns with Denny. Yes, I think that's rather exciting that we can do it time about. Oh, I love that our Pet Chat family's growing. It's very exciting. Kimberly Earl, welcome back. You know, you've been coming in every week for the last few weeks. So. Oh, just, just the last two in a row. Yeah, so you're just like, this is my thing now, I'm used to this, I'm enjoying this. It's good to be back. Okay, Julie, what are you chatting about today? I would like to talk today about dogs off lead. Jodie's in Westwell's End, you've given us a call, you've got a cat with hypothyroid and it's having trouble with the medication. Yes, hello. Hi Jodie, tell us about your cat. Yes, you'd be very familiar with my cat, Mr. Pounce, because we used to... Oh, it's Mr. Pounce. Oh, yes. Jody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally know Mr. Pounce. <laughs> I just love the name. It's a fantastic name. He's a big cat. What's happening? He's not letting you give him his tablets? No, he'll take the tablets. I mean, I've just been giving it to him with his food or yep. with you know a little bit of prawn or something like that, and he'll take it. He was fine for the 10 days with the do- uh, 5 milligram dose twice a day. Yep. And Friday night or overnight, he vomited everywhere in the bathroom. Oh. And the same again Saturday and Sunday. So I withheld it for 24 hours and tried again yesterday afternoon. We gave him um, the five milligrams. Yeah. And last night, he just threw up all over the bathroom floor again. And he's vomiting how long after he eats? I would be going probably about six, seven hours. Oh, so it's a good long time. Okay. Well, I mean, we probably need to... I'd I'd need to review his records. We probably need to try a different formulation, things like that. It'll... it'll, There may be something in that bigger dose that's not agreeing with him. Or we might... You could try a staggering. You could try... um, No, because you won't have any of the smaller size tablets left, would you? Like, um, I've got the five. No, I've only got the five. The fives, yeah. So we I'm might need to set you up with like a bottle of each, the two and a halfs and the fives, and then alternate them or, or something along those lines to see because there's obviously something is not agreeing with his belly um, yeah. when he's trying to, yeah, to digest them. Um, but I'd have to probably have a look at his file and see what he's on and things like that. Um, but yep. I will make a note and I'll get somebody to call you back this afternoon. <laughs> I've, I've actually I've actually spoken to the girls yesterday, oh, yep. and again I left a message this morning, okay. and I had to go to a meeting, so we couldn't um, return. But yeah, um, yeah, I'll wait for a call this afternoon. Okay, great, Kimberly. <laughs> Thank Sounds you, Jody. <laughs> That's kind of more of a personal uh, qu- question with you, but you know, there you yeah. go. So Listen, some options hy- there. Hyperthyroid disease is really common in cats, um, and it tends to cause their metabolism to go up, and the cats get very restless and antsy, and so actually having difficulty medicating a hyperthyroid cat is really, really common. So we prefer tablets um, in the short term because they're, you know, you can, if you get them in, then you know the cat's had the dose provided they're not vomiting. Is that a problem you see with the vomiting often on medication? Um, not so much. No, not usually. But, you know, any medication can can have a reaction in any particular patient. Um, so it might just be that we need to look at a different option for them. And there are other things like transdermal gels that you can put on their skin. They're not quite as good. Um, the gold standard treatment is to have radioactive iodine therapy done where we actually burn out the thyroid gland so that it can't overproduce the thyroid hormone. Um, that's not actually available in Newcastle. It's got to be done in Sydney. But, um, so it's that definitely fixes the problem for fixes life. Fixes the problem, cures them. Yeah, wow. cures them. And over time, um, I think we worked out that although it's a bit expensive you know, initially to go down and have radioactive iodine, the, the cat has to stay in the hospital in Sydney for seven, usually about seven days. Um, 
and there's a bit of a initial outlay of cost to to get that done but after 18 months of treating with pills and repeat blood tests and stuff like that you actually it, it works out more cost effective to have the radioactive iodine oh, treatment done so okay um but we often do start them on tablets to get them stabilized first so anyway okay. we'll have to have a look at mr pounce <laughs> now julie yeah you're chatting today about uh being off leash and there are a few parks around where you can take yes. your pets off leash yes but i'm going to take a slightly different tack and what I'm going to say is something that sounds really obvious, but there are only two places that dogs are off-leash, allowed off-leash, and that's on your property up until your fence line. That's the only place near your home that they're allowed off-leash or where there's an off-leash sign. So that sounds really obvious, but unfortunately things happen like people say, no, it's okay, my dog's friendly. So people walking along the street, their dog's not on a lead, and they go, yeah, but I've got a friendly dog. Or, mm. a, or a dog runs down a driveway, comes out onto the street, oh, my dog's friendly, and I'll tell you why that's not a good idea in a minute. Or, oh, he's not doing any harm, he won't do your dog any harm. Now, the worst combination is an on-lead dog with an off-lead dog because yeah. the on-lead dog has no flight response so it cannot make its choices as a dog giving the other dog a signal to get away does. yes absolutely so if it's a fearful dog on a lead and mr so-and-so has got the friendliest dog in the world it's still a fearful dog that i've got on the lead it doesn't want a dog up in its business it's very hard to explain that to people my labrador is just out of um cruciate surgery and she's not walking all that well. She's a little bit reactive on the lead and a little curly thing came running down a driveway, which started to set my dog off even at a distance. And the bloke said, oh, no, she's really friendly. I said, it doesn't matter. My dog can't tolerate dogs in, hers, in her space. Yeah, sure. So it's very hard to get that message across. Sometimes the owner of the leashed dog is as nervous as the mm. dog because they've been confronted at other times that dogs that have set their dogs off. They're waiting for it to go yeah, wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And then little Fluffy comes out and somebody goes, my dog's friendly. The fearful person on with the fearful dog doesn't want to hear that. Um, lots of people with on-leash dogs are trying to rehabilitate their dog. They're trying to take them out and choose distances at which they can engage their dogs to help them get over their on-lead fear. And we've got way more of those nervous dogs around since COVID. So we need to be mindful of that. And we don't want to cause the anxious dog to repeat the unwanted behaviour. So people with these random off-leash dogs are actually throwing our rehabilitation into chaos because they're letting their dogs come up into our faces and our dogs are resorting to the old behaviours that we're trying to change. I want to tell you three really stupid responses that people have given us. Sounds like you're venting today, Julie. I, just, I wondered if I was going to sound like that when I started. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. But, but I guess this is something that you're trying to say for everyone. It doesn't have to be a, a fluffy dog off lead. No, it could be any it's, dog. it's any, you know. And I, what I want people to know is that you're not the assessor of your dog's ability to be off a lead. It doesn't matter what you And you, you think. don't know what the other dog I mean, on leads could be It's knowing what the through. other dog wants. And that, I suppose this is our, just for all of us in my business, it's our soapbox, really. Sure. So here's some really stupid responses. One bloke said, if you don't like it, pick your dog up <laughs> while his dog was off the lead. 
Um, another one, this is a quite common, if your dog can't behave properly, don't bring him out in public. Mm. And one bloke said to us, um, how am I supposed to let my dog chase the ball if he's on a lead? So, so yeah. I guess the message there is if you are in an off-lead area, though, go for, go for it. But mm. just be mindful that there are areas off-lead and there, mm. there are where they need to be on And if lead. it is an off-lead area, don't take a leashed dog in there. Mm. Sure. Because sure. they're not going to learn to be comfortable around other dogs. All right. Some good points there. Thank you, Julie. It is a pet pleasure. chat. Uh, we're going to go to Deborah. Deborah, what's your question today for Dr. Kimberly Earle? Oh, hi, Dr. Kimberley. Um, our old Staffy, um, he's 13 and a half and he's had Cushing's disease for 10 months and he's uh, had all, you know, the ACTH testing done a couple mm -hmm. of times and he's on the lowest dose of trilostane he can be on. Yep. And um, uh, he's due again for some more testing, I believe. Um, but the vet's talking about an ultrasound. Now, all I wanted to know was, what does it matter if his Cushing's is caused by pituitary or adrenal or even if it's um, caused... By, he had a lot of doses of prednisone... As a baby, as, as a younger Through, his, through yeah. his younger years with yep. skin issues. Sure. So, um, the, I and mean... I just wondered, I, I don't know... Why? Would it change his treatment, the ultrasound? I don't know that well, it's that necessary. Okay, well, the, the the big one would be is that if his Cushing's disease is caused by a tuner, tumor on the adrenal gland, which is sitting near the kidney in the abdomen, and mm. that adrenal gland can be surgically removed, the right. Cushing's disease is cured. Um, we can't do that if it's sitting on the pituitary gland because that's no, in no. the brain. But no. that would be the difference. Uh, d does the dog, has the vet discussed whether the dog's got good control on trilostane? Uh, he, he was on um, 20 milligrams mm -hmm. and with his second ACTH mm -hmm. test, yep. uh, they lowered his dose then. And But I really believe that his symptoms have returned. Mm. And um, I, I know he's due for more testing, but I was just, you know... Yeah. So, I mean, it's not always that straightforward. The of the ultrasound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's giving more information about other concurrent illnesses as well. Sure. Um, and it's not necessarily as straightforward as, yes, there's a disease on the adrenal gland. We can take that out and cure the dog. But um, that does happen in some cases. And then your dog doesn't necessarily need to have treatment. Um, but we'd be also looking for some of those other um, concurrent illnesses. You know, what, what's the liver looking like? Are there other sure. things going on? Because Cushing's disease is really a disease that... If he's got more than one problem happening, it can yes. be a lot harder to control the disease. And the trouble with Cushing's is that a lot of dogs do really, really well with Cushing's disease, even if it's untreated or poorly treated, until the day that they crash and burn. And then on the day that they crash and burn, they're really, really unwell um, mm -hmm. and they may not survive. So, listen... You know, I think if your vet is recommending it, there's likely to be a reason. I don't think it's like hard and fast that you must do it. Um, right. But there's potentially, you know, other options that we can do to help the dog make it better or give us a better idea of what to expect in terms of treatment um, efficacy and, and success. 
Oh, great. Okay. Well, thanks for that information. You're That's very really welcome. Because, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a minefield, yeah. It is. It's a hard disease. It's a complicated disease. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for the call, Deborah. We really appreciate it. Uh, let's go to David in Belmont. You want to talk about safe ways to clean dog's ears? Yeah, that's right, Kimberly. I've got a German Shepherd, and uh, yeah, he's got big ears, and um, he does not like his ears being cleaned. Okay. Um, yeah. What do we do? So it it depends a little bit about. So there's you can have dogs ears that are dirty, and they can just be dirty. They can get a bit of wax and mud and whatever you know stuff down them. And then we can get dogs ears that are infected, and those infected ears will also be dirty and they'll be stinky, but they're also very painful. And unfortunately, a lot of the over the counter ear cleaners that you get when you put them into an inflamed and um, uh, irritated ear, they're going to stink. And that's right away. The dog's ears already sore, and then you're going to put something that's stingy in there, and that right away makes dogs feel like like this is already a really bad idea. They, they're unhappy. It's painful. The ear, um, you know, if if you've ever had something on a really sting, if you've had an ear infection yourself, they sort of they're hot and they're burning. Mm. So I guess yep. that's one of the things we need to be aware of. We will certainly get dogs who just don't like having stuff down their ears, but it's often because there's an underlying infection um, and. And they've learned to become head shy because we then put something in that's extra stingy. So I would always get the dog's ears checked out by the veterinarian first, make sure there isn't an underlying okay. condition um, because... Yeah. You can put as much ear cleaner down without a medicated drop. You're never going to get rid of that infection. It'll help. It'll improve it maybe for a day or two. But in the meantime, you've got to fight with your dog to do it. Um, and then it's yep. just going to come straight back. Okay. Um, now also... Um uh, my, my doggy's name is Mr. Bear, mm-hmm. and he's got, that, he's got that name for a reason. Um, when he was uh, about 12 months old, he got belted up by another German Shepherd, yeah. and uh, he is very aggressive towards other dogs. Yeah. Uh, we have we have tried taking him to school, to a German Shepherd Club. Yeah. We have put muzzlers on him. We have had a dog whisperer around. We've even got one of those clickers that, you know, send that signal to try and stop him from doing it. Yeah. to help. work, yep. So I think particularly... Any, any yeah, well, again, particularly in an instance where he's had a traumatizing experience, he is probably traumatized. He's probably got doggy PTSD. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably where you're going to need to speak to a behavior vet and look at um, some behavior medications to help with the behavior modification and training and desensitization. But we also need to be aware that it's possible that we can't easily bring him back to a point where he's going to accept other dogs. Um, okay. Certainly, drugs can be really helpful. They're, they're never, you can't just give a dog a drug and that's going to fix the problem, but they can help them to feel less worried and less anxious about the situations that we start to give them okay. so that they can yeah. relearn. Um, but yeah, I definitely look up, you know, veterinary behavior. Um, you, you probably want more than just a GP vet for that sort of, um, that sort of thing. And have you got any thoughts, Julie? Yeah, yeah. The, the very main thing that I would say is that you need to start working with your dog at a distance at which you can get the dog's attention. attention. So that's the way that I would work with a dog. So um, you find out where you can still engage the dog with a couple of strategies like getting them to look at you or getting them to yeah. find a treat on the ground. But the target dog, the scary dog, needs to be far enough away that you're under the threshold. And when you're working yeah. under the threshold, you can start to reinforce the dog for 
looking and not reacting and then try to move the threshold closer and closer, very gradually, um, towards that dog. Uh, sometimes I even use a fake dog before I get to a real dog. Ah. <laughs> oh, okay. So it, it, it requires setting setting it up, you know, having a friend or a person with a dog and saying, this is yeah. the plan. You're going to be on that side of the park and I'm going to be on this side of the park and I just need you and your dog to walk back and forth and not interact with us directly. Oh, and on your... We, 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 we cannot take, take him to a leash-free area because no. we know what he will do. We, yeah. we have to have him on a lead, so that's just not an option yeah. for us at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so definitely I would speak to um, speak to your vet, get a referral for a veterinary behaviourist um, because you'll okay. find the job will get easier. It's not going to be easy, but it'll get easier with some pharmaceuticals on board probably. All right, thank you very much for the call, David. If you've got a question, 49216216, we might go to uh, one of the emails we received. Sure. During the week. This one's from Jill. Jill, thank you very much for getting in touch. Uh, now, Kimberly, uh, five months ago, she, she was gifted three adult cats from her son. I don't know whether they're still talking, by the way. <laughs> he had to vacate a rental property. Um, his cats were feral, and after months, he tamed them and mm -hmm. dissexed them. Uh, but I believe she has a male cat who's very miserable and aggressive towards a new cat. So I think she's looking for some advice on how to get them to get along and live happily yeah. ever after. So this is a really hard, challenging um, sort of situation, particularly given that the son's cats were originally feral cats because they are going to behave really different to our domestic pets. Um, the first thing we have to understand is that we may not ever get them to a point where they can live happily together. They might, they might tolerate each other, but the chance of them ever becoming best buds um, is is pretty slim. Um, so the first thing we always talk about is making sure that they, we're setting them up in the home so that they don't have to interact with each other, so that we're, we're uh, keeping them separate on purpose. And her cat needs to have his own litter box area, his own food and water area, and the other three cats, assuming they all get to get along together, they need to have their own litter box areas and food areas because we can't expect cats coming from different backgrounds like that to get along. And in fact, the veterinary behaviorists tell us that um, cats don't consider themselves in the same cat family uh, unless you can see them grooming each other. So they can lie on the same couch or the same bed, um, but if you don't see them from time to time snuggling up and grooming each other, they actually don't consider themselves family. They are tolerating each other, but ah. they're not loving each other. Oh, that's really interesting. And so from that sort of a standpoint, um, cats don't want to use the same litter box or food sources as any other cat that's not in their cat family. So, so you can, what's the rule? One litter box per cat plus, plus one extra. But it's actually one litter box per cat family plus an extra. So if she's got these three cats and cat A and cat B groom each other, they lie together, they sleep with each other and they groom each other, they're one cat family. They'll share a litter box. And cat C might not ever do that. So she's got two cat families there. So for those three cats, she needs three litter boxes. And then she's got her other cat and that other cat doesn't do want to interact with the other cat, so he needs to have his own litter box as well. That's okay, a lot of litter one. boxes, isn't it's it? It's a lot of litter boxes. So her son's actually given her a really hard task um, because we know that even with many, many months, and I mean, she's had five months, which on a cat scale is not that long, actually, to get to know another cat, but there's a very good chance that she could be in the same situation in another six months. Um, they may not ever really get on with each other. There are some great 
tools you can use, though, um, products that are um, available on the market, cat feline pheromones and things like that as sprays and diffusers, and I would recommend she puts that all through her house. Make sure there's lots and lots and lots of cat-safe spaces and at multiple different levels. So lots of um, shelves or benches, cat-scratching posts in different heights because cats live in a very three-dimensional world. So it's not just the floor space of a room that makes a difference. It's how many different perches up high and low the cats can get to. Um, and I would actually try to keep her cat separate from the other cats for a good long time until she starts to give them um, you know, opportunities to start to in- intermingle. Okay. Um, but it may or may not ever happen, and, and it's very possible that she won't have a happy family. What we're hoping for is that her cat will learn to accept and tolerate the other cats in the house and that he won't develop or that none of them hopefully will develop a stress-related illness because unfortunately cats are really good at doing that, developing stress-related illnesses. Hello, Grant and East Maitland. How can we help you today? Yes, good afternoon. Just inquiring, I've got a 13-year-old red cattle dog with cataracts. Okay. And these are recent cataracts? I'd say 6 to 12 months old. We've okay. been humouring humor, him, as you could put it. Yep. But um, like he's relatively healthy, but he's a typical catalogue, so he's got lumps and bumps and everything all okay. over him. But I'm just wondering if there's anything naturally we can do to assist him. No, not naturally, I'm afraid. So, I mean, cataracts are a, a chemical change that happens in the lens of the eye and the actual character of the lens, lens excuse me, changes. It becomes like a crystal. Like So instead of being like a see-through um, material, it, it literally crystallizes. So you're now looking through, you know, well, they're not looking through anything, but the, you can see the white of the lens. So the only treatment for cataracts is surgery and they actually suck out all that crystalline material and put a um, uh, implanted lens into or an implant into to puff up the lens again so it's clear so that's a specialist surgery that can be done and and certainly dogs will get really good results from that the things that you want to focus on is helping your dog to live as a blind dog. And that means setting him up so that he knows the pathways from, you know, from here, point A to point B in the house or from point A to point B in the yard, trying not to move things around too much. It might mean that you put him on a leash and you walk him back and forth with, you know, positive reinforcement, lots of treats, and you walk him so you can show him where to get from the dog house, how to get to the dog food, to get to the door, those sorts of things. Um, We keep these dogs sometimes on fairly uh, short leashes when we're walking with them so that they can't inadvertently go around the other side of the pole to you or they can't knock their heads on the door frames as you're walking through. Uh, Lots of dogs can be taught if he still has good hearing. You can often teach them, um, you know, sort of commands by gently, you know, you can teach him to look out or to to move to the left or something like that by gently walking him up to something and just getting him to touch it. You're not trying to ram him into the door frame, but if you can just sort of teach him that when you say that word, that means that there's an object on his left-hand side. That can be helpful. Um, But in terms of fixing the cataract, that's a surgical specialist procedure, so... Thank you so much for the call, Grant. When we come back, uh, we'll be looking at some more questions and we'll look at our Dog of the Week. And we do have another email to address, Kimberly. Yeah, this email from the week uh, is from Jenny. And Jenny's asking about her Italian greyhound. So I won't read it all. Um, greyhound, Italian greyhounds are uh, a part of the sighthound group. So that's like greyhounds and whippets, things like that. Um, except they're really, really little. They're very fine bone, very little. Uh, and she says, my question is, with her being a sighthound, she can see anything that moves from a mile away but when she sits on our laps she virtually puts her nose on our nose like she's short-sighted and looks deeply into our eyes 
Um, and so she was just wondering if they are renowned for being short-sighted. Um, so the answer to that is no, they're not renowned. And I've done a little bit of research um, to see if I can find any um, evidence that they do that on a regular basis. I suspect that, Jenny, this is probably just your dog and she's probably just trying to get close to you. It, making eye contact is an interesting one because most dogs make eye contact when they're making... Um, uh, they're trying to sort of not necessarily be threatening but to be sort of dominant and they're sort of you know trying to to get a reaction out of you and things like that um, but it sounds like she's just doing that to you know be friendly from what your email says um, Italian greyhounds are prone to progressive retinal atrophy which is a vision uh, impairment that's a genetic disease uh, but I wouldn't expect that if she had that she wouldn't be able to see you know the tiny fluffy moving thing on the other side of the sports field um, and then not have a, an ability to see you or you know see you in your lap so I don't think that that's likely there is genetic testing for that you could always go back to your breeder and say was she tested for this um, but I think what you're seeing is a bit of a behavioral uh, um, issue, not, not issue, a behavioral or behavior. Trait. It's a behavior. It's a behavioral trait. That's what we're seeing. Um, and I suspect that it's unrelated to her sight whatsoever. It's just something about her getting up in your face. Um, she might be giving the eyes of love. Maybe, maybe. I mean, dogs are a little bit different like that. Most dogs who want to like give the eyes of love, they're actually going to like snuggle up to you and not look at you or they're going to roll on their side and flop on your lap or do whatever than that. So we'd have to probably have a more in-depth discussion and really unpick how how this is occurring or what it looks like things like that um, but I don't think it's anything related to her uh, vision Such, yeah. and I think as long as you feel that she's a happy friendly well-adjusted dog there's probably not any major problem with it don't a lot of animals stare at you when they want to challenge or they yeah, think you're going yeah. to fight totally them? that's exactly that was the word I was sort of looking for so ah, um, okay. yeah so yeah I didn't realize that when I uh, did work experience at the zoo and I was staring at the um, <laughs> yeah. the apes yeah the, but then the, you know my dog will stare directly at me particularly when I'm in the kitchen and she's like, come on, come on, let me have, me, what, are, me. what is it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Come on, please. <laughs> yeah. And she'll make eye contact for as long as I'll make eye contact. So <laughs> it does, it's not it's not straight across the board that way. But anyway, I don't think it's a vision issue. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, so not a medical thing. All right, let's go to our dog of the week now. And uh, we've got Ronnie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ravishing Ronnie. <laughs> yes, ravishing Ronnie. Now, he's a 10-month-old wolfhound. There's some gorgeous photos of him. Please check them out at 2nurfm.com.au. Click on the pet chat page. Uh, he just looks like a happy, energetic puppy. Now, he is a 10-month-old wolfhound cross, uh, and he's a bit of a character. He is scruffy. He is lovable. Uh, and he's got these really cool patches as well over his eyes and mm -hmm. some splotches on his body. So he's he is a cute-looking boy. Um, and he loves to zoom around the yard. So he's a big old goofball. He loves to play. Can be a tad dramatic when he's laying around and waiting for his walks. <laughs> And he's got a lot of funny quirks. He's also very smart. He uh, loves to learn. He's very fast and he just loves affection. So with a wolfhound, I guess you're going to need big fences. Like any yeah. animal, you need a secure yard. But he would be energetic. He's a puppy. So he's going to need a lot of walks. He's going to need, um, you know, ongoing yeah. training as lots all puppies of, need. Lots of patience and perseverance and training. Um, a fairly active lifestyle. Big, well-fenced yard because, you know, big jobs 
dogs can jump big things as well. Um, what so he needs stimulus. Look, he would yeah. do well with uh, an older dog, so he's quite happy with other dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ideally, I guess a dog to show him the ropes as to how to behave could be a good way to go. He's very even-tempered. Um, so, yeah, I think with a bit of patience, if you've got the time to put in some more training and obviously you do leave, leave, lead mm. an energetic <laughs> lifestyle, right. mm. he would be your boy. Sounds good. Yeah. He's cute. You can head to our website to check that out, to nurfm.com.au. And that takes us to the end of Pet Chat. Can you believe it? Julie, it was such a pleasure to get you back. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Yeah, we can't wait to have you back again. Of course, next time uh, it'll be Cheryl and then Denny and then we'll have you. So looking forward to that. Kimberly. thank you. Now is it David next week? I believe so. Okay. I'm back in a fortnight. We'll see you in a fortnight. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.